Good evening. This lecture will be Lerfuat Aliza Malka Batlea and also Leilui Nishmat Yechiel Ben Miriam Vemoshe. Also Leilui Nishmat Aromogam Ben Minachi. And yeah, also I have a list Lezivug Gila. And Yafa, Bnot Victoria, Chaim and Zion, Bnei Victoria, Leilui Nishmat, Yitzchak, Ben Linda and Linda, Bat Sara, and also Latzlacha of Chaim Ben Victoria, Zion Ben Victoria, Gila Bat Victoria, Yafa Bat Victoria, Victoria Bat Yafa, Yosef Ben Rina. I hope I covered everyone. I always forget one at least. Let's double check. Yeah, good enough. This week will be a very critical week for the future of the world, for the future of America, for our future. We will see what Hashem decided on Rosh Hashanah in two days. We still don't know for sure. We already know the direction. Well, we don't know for sure. Two things are going to happen this week. On Wednesday, they will finally vote the electoral. electoral. They will vote for who's going to be the president. There's rumors that 12, 12 senators are uh, going to reject Biden. It's rumors. You know, rumors usually don't happen, but maybe a miracle will happen. And then they will put a veto on his uh, pre presidency. And then the, the Congress will decide the identity of the president. And it can change. That's one tiny chance. Something just as important we have tomorrow, Georgia. In Georgia, the state of Georgia, they have election. Two Democrats against two Republicans. Right now it's 50-48 to the Republicans. If the Democrats will win both, it become 50-50. Harris is going to turn it to 51. She's the vice president. And that's the end of us officially. We lost Congress. We lost the Senate. We lost the presidency. And we're done. When it comes to these Democrat liberals, they'll finish us. Four years, they'll have freedom to do whatever they want, to destroy the religion, to promote abortions, to help Iran to get a bomb, to go against Israel, to ruin all the great achievements of Trump one by one, to promote millions of immigrants to come here and destroy the place even more, to double the deficit, the national deficit, from 26 trillion to 50 trillion. That's all what they're going to do in the next four years for sure. However, if the Republicans will win one of the two, just one, they don't, they don't need to win both. One of the two, they will control the House and everything CP Joe would want to pass, they will go against it. So that means his presidency will not be as critical for us because they will fight him. So it's going to be like 50-50 almost. So now we will see if Hashem decided to give us smacks on both sides of our face or only on one side. We will find out in 48 hours. 
uh, it's really not a joke because it's going to affect the whole world. It's going to affect us. It's going to affect Israel. It's going to affect the Middle East. And uh, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? I really don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> there is one uh, liberal Jew on the Democrat side. Bezrat Hashem, he would lose. And the Goy will win, or the Goya, whatever they are, the Republicans. Because when the Jews are lefty and liberal, they're more dangerous than anything you can imagine. If they write pro-religion, even better religious, they, they are a blessing to the world. They will always do good things. If they are democrat, liberal, lefty, socialist, etc., communist, it's the cancer of the world. The cancer of the world is this kind of people. It doesn't matter, Jews or non-Jews. All these kinds of people, they are the enemies of God. They always promote what the Torah hates. They always promote what God hates. They will promote homosexuality and all kinds of abomination and all kinds of horrible things. And once the world becomes even worse, that means more tragedies will come to the world. And when the tragedies come to a city or to a country, everybody pay the price, even the good people. Once the Satan get a mission, go and destroy Saddam, everybody dies, even the good ones. Why? Oy l'arasha, oy l'shcheno. Oy to the wicked, oy to his righteous neighbor. Why the righteous neighbor have to die with the wicked neighbors? If you live next to them, you go down with them. You want to save yourself? Run away from wicked people. Don't move to live in places where all your neighbors are lefty, liberals, God-haters, religious haters, promoting abomination. Stay away from this kind of people. Don't take them as partners. Definitely don't marry to them. And stay as far as possible from them. The more you talk to them, the more damage you have to your soul. That's what it is. There's no, we're not going to become extremist or we exaggerate. That's halacha lemaaseh. That's the halacha. You can see in the writings of Rav Avigidor Miller, you have to think a thousand times before you even have a conversation with someone like this. And he spoke about these things 40 years ago. When the Democrats back then were even better than some of the Republicans today. <laughs> they were not that bad like now. The Democrats of 40 years ago, they were not in such a low level like now. And still, he warned us from them. i give you an example. In Israel, half of the country is like that. It's not only in America. Half of Israel is like that. Today, two Israeli men had went to the Israeli Supreme Court with a complaint. What's the complaint? Two gays, lousy, wicked people, they want to get married. So, listen carefully what happened today. So they got married online by Zoom in a state of uh, somewhere in America. One state that allowed two men to get married. One of the states, I don't know exactly, I don't remember which one. They came to the Israeli Misrad Apnim, to the immigration office, to the, you know, civil office, and they want to get registered as husband and wife. 
And the girl say to them, she doesn't say, what do you mean? Two men get married? Who say you can get married? None of this, of course. They already take it for granted that it's no problem. Her problem was if we can approve any marriage in Zoom. Not that two men are getting married. That's already normal. No question asked. She was not even surprised. You had to see the conversation. She said, oh, I'm not so sure. We were told not to approve weddings by Zoom. Obviously, it's not a religious wedding. You cannot get married through a computer without being next to your wife and put the ring on her finger. Just to give you an example, that's like a civil marriage. Like you go to the clerk to the county clerk, when you get married over there. So she said, let me go ask. She comes back, she said, no, the government does not approve marriages by Zoom. Meaning, how did you get married if you've never been in, uh, in America? We got married on Zoom. No, we don't approve marriages by Zoom. Marriages men to men, we approve. But marriages by Zoom, we don't approve. You understand that this is the face of the Jewish state today. The biggest shame, the biggest chilul Hashem. And in America, there's nothing better. Sleepy Joe and his friends and Harris, same garbage. Ze nevela ve trefa. The difference is that the Jews will pay a much bigger price by Hashem. When a guy does stupid things like this, he's going to get his punishment. But Hashem knows who he's dealing with, and doesn't have so, so much expectation from the goyim. The history is full of their actions. When Jews became like that, and sometimes even worse than the goyim, the punishment will be a lot bigger to all of us, not just to them. Why to us? Why each one of us will pay the price? Who knows why? Huh? Anyone knows? Because we did not protest. We do not protest. We all spoiled, selfish, and care only about our own stomach. We care about our stomach. We care about our bank account. We care about our own family. It does not bother us that so many people became gay in the world. You can't even open your mouth anymore. They get angry. They have the nerve to get angry, these criminals. They, they rebel against the creator of the world. They get him fuming and angry. He brings tragedies to the world because of them. And in the end, they have the nerve to give us a speech that we are some kind of wackos. How do we dare to even say that you're going against the law of nature? That's the world we live in. And then when you speak about it, they get angry and they leave. They get angry. And they report to Facebook. You understand? That's what they do. They call to YouTube and Facebook and complain. Why? Like a coward that comes from behind, stab you and run. They can't face the truth, so they go behind and report. That's what they do. No freedom of speech, no human rights. Righties have no permission to say their opinions anymore. Only the left can talk. That's what's going on today in the world, Rabotai. So be, be, you know, be ready, don't be surprised. It only gets worse, unfortunately. It only gets worse. I wish I would have better news for you, but it only gets worse and worse. So hopefully we'll still have some miracles coming. If not, 
I don't know when Mashiach comes, who is he going to come for? For 2,000 people? How, how long does Hashem wants to wait? The longer he waits, you would think that more and more people will do tshuva due to the situation in the world, corona, problem, poverty, bankruptcies, dying people, mentally broken, depression, divorce epidemic, drugs pandemic. You would think people will get the point. God is really angry. He's punishing us and punching us from all directions. Maybe we'll wake up. In the Tanakh, you had wicked people who woke up here and there. Not always, but sometimes. But now nothing. Nobody woke up. Seven and a half billion people, almost everyone wicked with their actions, Jews and non-Jews. And what happened? How many people came and said, listen, I'm becoming strictly religious. No more jeans, no more tight miniskirts, no more high heels. No more tons of makeup. No more finishing the duty free all over me before I leave the house. No more starting making scenes with all kinds of guys here and there. No more Hilul Shabbat. No more eating in Treif restaurant. Changing my personality. Fixing my integrity and my lack of honesty. Becoming a better human being. Becoming a more religious human being. No, almost nobody. Almost nobody. I would expect that after such tragedy in the world, after so many punches we got in the last 10 months, that some people at least, 10, 20% of the people would say, wow, we better wake up before we will not leave to wake up. You would think. But the problem is that the heart of the people is so impure that it looks to me that we already penetrated, entered the 58th gate of impurity. In Mitzrayim, the Gemara said, if they would stay a little bit longer in Egypt, they will already enter the 58th gate of impurity, and after that they'll never come out of Egypt. They will be all destroyed spiritually. So Hashem needed to rush the salvation quickly, don't have time to wait until the, the door would rise. Another day over here and you're done. You will never come out of here. You're already mamash touching the 50th gate of impurity. You reach almost the top. You're 98%. You, it keeps going. 0, 5, 10, 20, 30, 50, 90, 95, 98. That's 49 out of 50. It's 98%. Meaning a little bit more, you know, like with the download. 98%, you know, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, successful, and we're done. Two seconds before, Hashem grabbed us out of there. Now it looks we probably already entered there. That's why I'm wondering, who is the Mashiach going to come to? To the people that uh, lay naked on the beaches of Florida, or Cancun, or Tel Aviv? To the people who dance naked in all kinds of uh, semi-trailers on the street in the abomination parades that they do every week? For who? For all the crooks of the stock market, of Wall Street, of the insurance company, of the pharmaceutical companies, all the corruption? For where? For when Mashiach come, who is going to have the nerve to show up 
with his arms open. Mashiach ben David. Oh, we waited for 2,000 years. Give me a hug, please. Who would be able to show his face? We have to stand now in front of a mirror, look at ourselves very carefully, and talk to ourselves. Talk to ourselves. Hey, hey, Mr. X, Mashiach is coming in 10 minutes. You ready for when he will ask you about what you did an hour ago, what you did last night, what you did two nights ago, what you did a week ago, what you did this morning to your employee in a business, how you cheated him with a commission, and how you cheated your supplier, and how many times in the last five years you closed the corporation and opened a new one and did not pay your suppliers the money, and how, many, how much money you stole from the government, and how much money you stole from your in-laws, and how much money you stole from your own children? From your own children. I see parents steal from their own children. <laughs> what generation we live in? You know, about uh, 10 years ago I told a story. It's been going on all over Israel. Every week you hear it. It was such a powerful story. When the stories are true, it's even more powerful and more painful. Because you actually know it happened and you can't believe that something like this can happen. There was a wedding in Israel. A boy and a girl getting married. Baruch Hashem, boy and a girl. We have some good news here and there. So a boy and a girl is getting married in Israel. And you know, about 10, 10 12 years ago when this story took place, people come with gifts in Israel. They have either check in the envelope or cash. A lot of people bring cash. So what are you going to do? Today, they have a big safe. Everybody throw it in. By the end of the night, they open it, they take it. But the reason they made the safe because there was some kind of robberies here and there. The gifts disappeared. So now this is a husband and wife. They're not rich. They need the money of the gift because a lot of people bring cash to pay the band, to pay the waiters, you know. There's a lot of expenses after the wedding. Around 11.30, now all the gifts were in one bag. They put it in a bag and they put it under one of the tables. Lots of cash and checks. Around 11.30, they turned around and the bag disappeared. Almost before the wedding was finished. The girl said to her husband, no, husband, where is the bag? Did you get it? Did you take it? No. Maybe ask your father. No, no. Ask here. Ask there. Mom, did you see it? Anyone? They get panic now. Oh my God, it could be $20,000 there. Gifts. Three, four hundred guests. A lot of money. They look all over. The bag disappeared. Imagine what a night. And finish your wedding and that's what you get. First gift of your wedding. This. They called the police. The police showed up at 1 a.m. or something like that. They had to stay in a place there until 3 a.m. Police write down the testimonies, this, that. If we'll find out something, we'll let you know. Lost case. Police won't do anything about it. What can they do? How are they going to know? They go home crying. Instead of going home and starting a new happy life, they went home. They couldn't pay here. They couldn't pay there. They had big embarrassment. The waiter said, how can you do such thing? What, you show up to the wedding? You don't bring money with you? We were supposed to pay you from the gift. There should be enough money to pay. Big embarrassment. 
טוב, as they try to recuperate from this horrible incident, three or four weeks later, they got the video of the wedding. You know, the video of the wedding that usually you watch it one time, and that's it. And for that, you pay thousands of dollars for that one time. So, they called the entire family for the premiere, right? For the premiere, first time they will display the, 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 wedding, the wedding video. Everybody show up, the uncles, the grandparents, the grandchildren, you, Salah Shabbati family. They all showed up, more than 50 people, like sardines. Wow, wow, you look so good, Sarah. Moshe, don't worry, you also look good. Look good, look bad. That's a very sad night. Why? Look how it ends. As they watch it, the girl said, look, Moshe. The bag is still there. The video goes around. They see the bag on the floor under the table. The girl said to her husband quietly, imagine if we see now on a video who actually stole it. He said, wow, I didn't think about it. They watched. Somebody comes closer, closer, closer. You see the back of him with the jacket. Bend down, pick up the bag pick up his jacket, push the bag under the jacket, and turn to the side. And right away in the room, you heard the chair fell on the floor, someone with his head, boom, fainted on the floor. They turn around, the father of the bride is the thief. He stole the gifts from his own daughter. This is the world we live in. You understand? Do we need, do we need to add more to the situation? <laughs> how bad it can get? How, more, how much worse it can get? How much worse it can get? This is what you do to your own daughter in the night of her wedding? When it comes to money, many people lose totally, totally, a status of a human being. They behave worse than animals in nature. Our animals fight for something, for food, you know. The bears, the monkeys, they push each other, throw things at each other, fighting for one bite of the, of the dead animal that they're all fighting for. The only difference is when a human being is behaving like an animal, it's much more dangerous than animals. Because when a lion is around, you expect him to attack you. You are ready. When your own cousin is there and you turn your back and he stick a knife in your back and destroy you, he didn't see it coming. So that's what's going on, Rabotai. That's what's going on. And I was thinking to myself, maybe Corona will wake up so many people, especially now when a lot of people watch lectures and they have time, they stay home. They made another quarantine for the whole country now in Israel, closing the schools, closing everything. Third one already. Third general quarantine in a whole country. People sit home. They have time now. They go crazy at home. Watch, sit and watch lectures. There are people who did it and there are people who became better. Don't get me wrong. There are some people. But you would think that a lot more people will do cheshbon nefesh. 
will actually evaluate their ways and maybe will finally wake up. But enayim laim velo yiru, oznayim laim velo yishmau, af laim velo yerichun. We have everything that Hashem gave us, we don't use it. So, Rabotai, remember two weeks ago when I, when, I, when I spoke here about the agreement, the peace agreement between Israel and the Emirates. Bahrain, Emirates, Sudan, now Morocco. Remember what I said, that Iran is going to do everything they can to attack and to put some bombs there? Yesterday they caught two bombs in two different places by a real miracle. Imagine if they would blow up, who knows how many people would die. Iran tried to blow up in the Emirates in two different places in one day. Now imagine what, what else is coming. That's why I told people, don't go to Dubai, what's the rush? Where, what are you rushing? Like, like, like a, oh, it's like heaven or something. You know? Let the anger go. These Iranians are a wounded animal right now. Especially now when they killed uh, this Suleimani and the other one, the, the, the scientist. They're going crazy now. Now it's his yurt site. again alav. You know, maybe Ahmadinejad will say Kaddish for him. You know? So they are now more angry now. Because it reminds them about how they were humiliated by the Israelis. They blow up their two top terrorists. Very dangerous. You don't know what can happen next. You don't know what can happen next. Hashem yatzilenu. Chol dor vador omdim alenu lechalotenu, v'hakadosh baruch hu matzilenu miyadam. Every generation and generation, they stand with a plan to destroy us, and Hashem again and again and again is saving us from them 100%. You know, in 1967, the Israeli army occupied Gaza. The Arabs sitting in Gaza, there was a war, 1967. Part of the world was occupying Gaza. There's no more Egyptian here. We are in charge. They were so happy, the Arabs, the Palestinians, that they got rid of the Egyptians. The Egyptians are very cruel, very cruel. Egyptians and Syrians, very cruel countries. They torture prisoners, they do mental things to them. Very cruel people. So... They were so happy to get rid of them, what they used to do to their daughters and to all, you know, it's strangers, Egyptians. And here comes the, the nice Jews with their merciful heart and they're very nice. Israelis used to walk in Gaza on a daily basis with no fear whatsoever. There was no Hamas yet. 1967, most of you were not born. So they were going, going shopping much, much cheaper than Israel. Hundreds of Israelis per day used to walk in Gaza on shopping, just like Paris and New York. And the Arabs were extremely happy. Wow, we got so many great customers. We got rid of the Egyptian. Days of Palestinian Messiah. Day of, days of Mashiach. The Arabs were so happy. And then they found out there is one Arab in Gaza 
I give you one guess. What was his name? Huh? If you guess what was his name, you get right now from me a hundred dollars. Huh? What was his name? I give you ten guesses. No? Shoot. What was the Arab's name? Huh? Okay. Don't think I'm so generous. If I offered you a hundred dollars just like that, that means your chance to guess is one to a billion. <laughs> so, so, so his name was Yaakov Abu Chatzera. Baba Sali's grandfather. Don't worry, Baba Sali's grandfather did not come back to life to go shopping in Gaza. No, he was a real Arab Muslim. That his name is Yaakov Abu Chatzera. They say that, they told that to Baba Chaki. Who was Baba Chaki? Baba Sali's younger brother. They told him, you're not going to believe. We found in Gaza an Arab name after your holy grandfather, Rabbi Yaakov Abu Chatzera, that is buried in Egypt. He was shocked. Let's go and meet that Arab and find out what's behind that. It has to be a juicy story. Right? They came to that Arab and they say to him, Excuse me, Mr. Abu Chatzera, are you by any chance a hidden Jew or something? Because there are some Palestinians that are actually Jews there. Maybe he's one of them. He said to them, No. I'm a Muslim. My mother and my father are both Arab Muslims. So why your name is Yaakov Abu Chatzera? He say, my father, when he married my mother, they were barren. They could not have children for 20 years after they got married. After they gave up, on, gave up hope, someone told them, there is a holy gravesite of a holy rabbi in Egypt that people go and pray over there and by miracle they get children against all odds. Maybe you should go to pray by the grave of the rabbi. My parents went there, they took nuts. They know the Jews won't eat anything unless it's raw, right? So they brought pistachios, cashews, nuts, all kinds of things like this, fruits that they can give out over there to the poor people. They pray there in, for a few hours by the grave of the tzaddik, and my father made a neder, a vow. If God will give me a son, thanks to you, Rabbi, I will call him and name him after you. Nine months exactly later, the Arabs say, my mother gave birth to me. And my father called me Yaakov Abu Chatzera. The Arab Muslim Yaakov Abu Chatzera from Gaza. And that was before the Hamas. Life was different. But then, Jews, instead of appreciating Hashem for the Six Day War, the biggest miracle in modern history of all nations, not just the Jewish nation, Something like this was never ever seen by any combat. 
I remember one Israeli pilot told me that I was in the Air Force. So he went here for training in Long Island somewhere, some kind of a training for pilots. Phantom pilots, F-15, they come here for Ishtalmut, conventions. And the general of the, of the American Navy, the general, which is a pilot, F-15 pilot, is giving the sessions and he's talking about World War I, World War II, this bat, this combat, this war, that war. Not one word again about the Six-Day War, which was the big any Air Force ever. Knocked down dozens of Arab airplanes in hours. Destroyed their Air Force in hours. Egypt, Syria, finished them in hours. Something like this is it's, it's a miracle like this. So the Israeli pilot asked the American, the Goy, excuse me, General, you've been talking for days and days and days. You mentioned every possible war. You did not say one word about the Six-Day War. Any reason for it? The American general said to him, you, an Israeli Jew, and I understand why you're asking me this question. Because you were in that war and it's close to you. I am here to teach pilot how to fight and how to learn to defeat their enemies. I'm not here to teach about God's miracle that he does for his chosen people, the Jews. Do you think I can teach them about the Six-Day War? Something like this will ever happen to them? It can only happen to you, the children of God. He did the war for you, so don't, please, don't give me, please, any complaints. We're not going to learn about the Six-Day War. What happened over there was 100% God fighting for you. The Goy said. Did the Israeli pilot become religious? Not so fast. The guy appreciated more. So after the Six-Day War, instead of the Israelis becoming closer to Hashem after he did such miracle, what happened? Five years of arrogance and pride. We won. We are the best. We have the best army, the best air force. No one is like us. No one should mess with us. Now one thank you to Hashem. Nobody. Nothing, not the Prime Minister, not the Minister of Defense, not the Chief of Command, nobody. Five years later, he sent us Yom Kippur War. Thousands died. The Arabs were one hour from reaching Tel Aviv. Already by Be'er Sheva almost. Another hour with the tanks, they would meet from Syria and Egypt in the center of Tel Aviv. Another hour of two. By there, there was also a huge miracle. All the Jews were in Yom Kippur in the shuls. Even the secular people used to go to shul. They left almost no army. Few, few soldiers in the border. That's it. No army. The Arabs knew. All Jews will be in the shul. We ripped them to pieces. They, they going fast, fast, fast. Now one bullet. Nobody shot. No, nothing. What's going on? Everything empty. The road's empty. No cars on the road. Everyone is in shul. And there was no internet. There was one radio, one channel. Nobody listens to the radio on Yom Kippur back then. All of a sudden, in the middle of Yom Kippur, sirens. I was five years old. I remember it. 
I remember my neighbor calls me. Quick, come. What? We have to dye the lights of the car. The front lights gave us blue color to paint it. Why? If somebody by mistake will turn the lights on automatically, they don't want the airplanes of the enemies to see cars and bomb them. This is, this is, I remember this. Come, we, we, we went to, to paint the, 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 the headlights of the cars. This is how bad it was. We sat in shelters, a shelter in, in every building, in a, in, a, in a basement level. Sirens every minute, sirens. Everyone was nervous. Wow, we, we are being destroyed. The Minister of Defense, instead of encouraging the soldiers, Moshe Dayan, the one with the one eye, remember? The one with the one eye. He said, Chorban Bait Shlishi. Destruction of the third temple. That's what he said to the soldiers. We finished. There's no chance. They already had atomic bombs on the plane. We die. We take these Arab with us to hell. That was the plan. Another hour or two probably that one would happen. We wouldn't be here. Probably none of us would be here. We would change the whole face of the world. And then all of a sudden, the, the Egyptian general screamed, Stop! To all the soldiers. Don't move. Pause. What happened? It cannot be that the Israelis are so dumb. If they do not attack us, that means they're waiting for us to go full force inside and they will ambush us from around and then they will butcher all of us. Stop! Don't go forward. After the war, they asked Egyptian prisoners, which they, when they released them, why did you stop? He said, there are two different stories. Some soldiers say we saw thousands, thousands of like angels in front of us. We got scared. One of them said, we never know who it was. They never found out who was the one who screamed to all of them to stop. They never found out. That person was never found. They checked who, who, who gave the order to stop. Without that order, it would be the end of us. They never found him. There was one Yemenite general, in, uh, commander of a tank. His name was Avigdor Kahalani. He's still alive. In Israel, still alive. He was a real war hero. This Temani, Kaalani. He had three tanks against hundreds. Three. Him and two more tanks. And he said to his soldiers, drive all the way to the right, shoot. Drive all the way to the other side, shoot. Drive back to the middle, shoot. Drive to the right, shoot few. Like this, they will think... Now we have hundreds of tanks over here. <laughs> Three tanks against hundreds. The Arabs, oh, there's so many tanks, we're better careful. Those were the stories of the war, of Yom Kippur War. And Hashem made us this miracle. And after that Yom Kippur, came Sheikh Ahmed Yassin and decided to start the Hamas Terror organization. If you go into the Hamas 
website, Amanat HaChamas. Amanat HaChamas. They have their, like, uh, can, uh, can, uh, uh, what do you call it? Huh? No, the constitution of the Hamas, when they started, they made themselves like laws and constitution and summary. Why they're opening the Hamas? What's the purpose of it? This Sheikh Yassin was on a wheelchair. And he writes over there, the Jews, this is how it starts. The Jews are the chosen nation. God chose them from all the nation. He gave them everything. He has done so much for them. He kept saving them from all the problems they ever had and kept giving them and blessing them. And in return, every time he gave them, the Jews turned around and were ungrateful to him. They did not follow his instructions and even had the nerve to kill their own prophets. Which prophet is talking about? Yeshaya, Isaiah. They actually killed him, his own grandson, Menashe. Menashe. You know? So, the Arabs, this Yassin said, because they are like this, it's time for us, the Arabs, to teach them a lesson. That's why I'm starting the Hamas. Already 30, 40 years we suffer from them. Every minute, they shoot rockets, they blow up people. They, well, hundreds, they murder already, if not thousands. And there's nothing you can do against them. Nothing. It's like Hashem put handcuffs on our hands and our legs. A terror organization, over, I don't know how many people they have, 10,000, 20,000, I really don't know. They actually holding a gun to our head and we are shaking from them. That's the truth. We're afraid. We're afraid to go into Gaza. We all know if we go in an operation in a war with them, we're going to have a thousand dead soldiers at least. Because you're going to have to fight in their neighborhoods and very narrow, all kinds of turns. They throw bricks from the top on the soldier's head. They kill many soldiers like this. They have all kinds of booby traps. It's very difficult to fight over there. They know the area. I don't know. Soldiers go over there. They attack you from all over. They throw bombs, rockets, RPG. So you can win them. You're going to have a thousand soldiers dead. They will be mentally destroying Israel. The difference between these Arabs and the Jews is when an Arab soldier dies, nobody cares. Nobody cares. Not even his family making a party. He's a Shahid. He's holy. Let's give candy and baklawa and black coffee. When one Jewish soldier died, the entire country cries. All over the news, people said, upset, if it's five, bechlal, five. Two days, people depressed. When they show the funerals, I want the press. Imagine a thousand. So no prime minister will ever have the guts to go into a war with them again. You can only bomb them from the top. And because when you bomb them from the top, you're afraid to kill children and women because the whole world will go against you with sanction. So you write to them, we're going to bomb in this area in advance. A few hours before, they tell them at 4 p.m., we're going to bomb in this neighborhood. This building, the radio station of the Hamas, they all run away. They run away because they already know in advance because they're afraid to kill them. 
because they're afraid what the world would say. They don't tell us we're coming to kill children. That's what they want to kill. But we have to tell them we're going to bomb over there. So that's why when we always bomb, you never hear anybody dies there. 20 bombs, 20 buildings are falling down. Now one person gets a scratch. Most of the time. Sometimes it's accidents. Out of nowhere, someone got hurt. But usually that's what's happened. Why? Just to show the Israelis we are doing something. This is all written where, in which parasha? Everything I told you now, it's written in details. Parashat Bechukotai. But that's exactly what's going to happen to us. And we still are dumb in such a way not to see the hand of Hashem. We see this mass murderer, bloodthirsty terrorist, every second scream, Allah Akbar, Allah, God is great, God is great. The, the biggest filth on earth, the most wicked, evil monster on earth that go with a knife to a crib of, of two years old and slaughter them in a house, three brothers like this. Those are these monsters, and every hour they scream, God, God, and pray five times a day, this monster filth. And we that have everything from Hashem, look at our communities. Why don't come to shul? Eight o'clock, it's too early on Shabbat. Can you make it 9.30? If you make it 9.30, it will show up 10.30. The Israeli Air Force blew up the head of this terrorist, Ahmed Yassin. Do you know what time it was? 5 a.m. Do you know where they found him? Coming out of the mosque after finishing his prayer. This mass murderer monster finished to pray at 5 a.m. on a wheelchair in a winter. Freezing weather, Ramallah, Jericho, it's very cold over there in the winter. Old person on a wheelchair, mass murderer field, going with a wheelchair to pray in a mask to God. For what he's praying? To help him to murder more Jewish kids. At 5 a.m. This is the, the situation, Rabotai. Now you can understand why all these things are happening to us. I just gave you a, a little drop. I can go on and on and on until next year straight from the things I see and hear myself. Just myself alone. You understand, Rabotai? But Baruch Hashem, there are a few things that are saving us. One is... Tens of thousands of Bnei Torah sitting and learning. Learning, learning, learning. Boys, girls, even girls in Midrashiot. Kids, Tinokot Shel Bet Rabban in Yeshivot. This power you can never take away. It's massive shield. Then we have 36 very big tzaddikim, Lamed Vav tzaddikim, that thanks to them the whole world exists. It's in our nation. I can tell you some of them, they are famous, but some of them are not famous. One of them is Rav Kook from Tveria, one of them is Rav Ades. You know, you can see, this is, these people are not people, they're angels. They don't have Yetzirah. They don't eat, all day they pray, all day they learn, <laughs> fasting. They don't care about this world, all day crying. You see Rav Ades, how he cry every day in a Kotel? 
freeze your blood. Freeze your blood. It's, uh, you, you, you can't even focus on the praying because all you want to do is just to look at the face of this angel how every morning at 6 a.m., 5 a.m. in the nets, how he cries, such loud crying. Already 10, 20, 30 years from morning to night like this every day. And of cook hours, hours, every day, hours praying, hours, two hours, three hours, in one three hours. Three hours. His knees are already crushed to pieces. His knees cannot stand more than a minute. All his teeth fell down from the fasting. When people, when you see someone that learns Torah all the time, and he's not so old, we're not talking 80, 50, 55, and he doesn't have teeth, one thing you know, that they fast every day. That's why their teeth falling. What's the connection between fasting and teeth falling? When you don't get your vitamins, the teeth does not have the strength. You take one bite from uh, bread on Shabbat, the teeth crash to pieces and fall off. You understand? Our teeth fall off because of 20 cans of Coke a week that we drink. It destroys the teeth. Their teeth falls because they don't eat basically anything and they don't get vitamins and the teeth are falling. Yes, my own rabbi is like this. I told him I'm sending you to a dentist, a friend of mine in Israel is going to make three implants for you. And on the implants you can do bridges that at least you can eat. So I arranged everything, one month, two months. I asked him a week ago, are you still going to the dentist and uh, you took care of your teeth? He said to me, I went there, but I stopped. I said, why? It said, it takes so long, so much bitul Torah. I'll manage with the one and two or two teeth that I have left. I'll eat somehow on the side like this. I said, one time you fix your teeth, you can have it another 20, 30 years, chaval. It's already set for you, you don't have to pay nothing. It's too much bitul Torah. We waste too much time for it. You have to go, you wait until they let you in, until they make the x-rays and this, and on the way back, it doesn't have his own car, so he has to take a bus. These things take a long time. He gave up on it. You understand? What about cosmetic that you smile that you have missing teeth? Who cares about these things? We came to this world to be models in a magazine. We came to the world to be holy tzaddikim. In Israel they have a say, Tzochek, Mishet Tzochek Acharon. Remember this. Tzochek, Mishet Tzochek Acharon. The one who laughs last, laughs laugh the loudest. How do you say it? You got the point. Baruch Hashem. Baruch Hashem. You know, we have righteous people, Baruch Hashem, that's saving us. Sometimes I say, Hashem, how do you have patience to this world? Then, then he shows me why. I hear a story and I get encouraged. Like this one I heard today. I actually spoke about it a few years ago. And I forgot about it already. And then something reminded me about it today. One religious woman, she's supposed to give birth on Shabbat. Maybe yes, maybe not. 
two hours before Shabbat, she's preparing a bag in case she's going to have to go to the hospital on Shabbat. There's no time to start. Uh, and she called up a cab from before Shabbat, a secular guy. Those are, who works on Shabbat? Taxi driver. Either Arabs, Russian goyim, or Israeli secular mechalelei Shabbat. Religious people don't walk on a cab on Shabbat, right? Right, Benji? No Uber on Shabbos, right? Baruch Hashem. Tov. So she sits in a cab with a bag. Actually, it was before the end of Shabbat. Not before Shabbat. Before the end of Shabbat. She sits in a car and she said to the driver, don't drive. I will pay you for your time. Don't worry. I'm starting to pay you from now. But don't drive, don't move the, don't, don't move the cab. Sit here until I'm going to really need to go. Sit in a, in a cab with me. I'm paying you for the time. It's like you're driving. Put the timer, no problem. If I'll get contractions, I'll give you the okay. Why? Because she had a little bit, you know, one or two. So obviously it's pikuach nefesh, you have to get ready. So you need the car to be next to you. You don't have time now, 15 minutes to wait when it's already every five minutes. It happens, some women gave birth in a cab or in the elevator. It happened already. You gotta be ready. It's pikuach nefesh, you're allowed to be mechalel Shabbat for it. So she called up the taxi. She had that program in the phone already from before Shabbat. And he came and she walked into the cab and she said, but don't drive. Why? I don't know. Maybe it was false contraction. You know, sometimes it's fake. It's not real. If I get it real hard, I'll give you the okay to go. But from now, I'm paying you already. It can be hundreds of shekel or dollars, whatever it's going to be, the bill. Imagine, it's like a ride of three hours. He sat with her, the, the chiloni, until it was Motzei Shabbat. She told him, Baruch Hashem, I didn't give birth. Now he can go. We can manage on our own now, Motzei Shabbat. How much do I have to give you? It's, it was, you know, every, every minute he jump, another shekel, two, three, ten, twenty, fifty. It keeps going. He said to her, on my dead body I'll take a shekel from you. I'm not taking a penny from you. He say, she said to him, why? That's what I'd say. I'd say, I say, I took two hours of your time. He said, why? I'm not Jewish like you. It just made me realize what does it mean to be Shomer Shabbat. So she made this driver started to do tshuva by showing devotion. I'll tell you one last, last story that's similar to that and we'll start our lecture for tonight after the, the short introduction that we had. There was one Avrech in Bnei Brak, very poor. One Avrech in Bnei Brak, very poor. He's learning in yeshiva in Kolel. What do they get? Peanuts. Shabbat, his son got very high fever. 40 Celsius. It's like 104, 105. Very serious. Already life risk. Pikuach nefesh. High fever, it's life risk. Something is really wrong in the body. He called up a private doctor. Please come check my son. He's boiling from heat. The doctor, secular, showed up with his bag, walked in, 
check the boy, did all the tests. He told him, don't worry, there's nothing serious. I'll give you some medicine. In one or two days, you'll feel better. You can relax. He said, wow, thank you very much. So the doctor finished, and the doctor said, 500 shekel. 500 shekel. Okay. Back then, it was like $120. House visit. So the Avrech say, hold on. He's thinking now, what should I do? Shabbat, I cannot write a check. Cash I don't have. If I write a check, I will mechalel Shabbat. If I tell the doctor, would you mind coming back tonight after Shabbat to get your check? Oh, what a chilul Hashem is going to be with this kibbutznik. Whatever I'm going to do will be bad. What should I do? Chilul Hashem, chilul Shabbat. It's a real catch-22. So what did he do? Chamesh me'ot, you have to write chet, mem, shin, mem, alef, vav, taf. Seven letters. Two words, seven letters. What happens if you write elef? Elef is only one chilul Shabbat. Chamesh me'ot is three chilulei Shabbat. If you write the word elef, you get one stoning in the next world. Death by stoning once. If you write Chamesh Mot, you get three death by stoning. Three. Why? Every two letters is a separate Chilul Shabbat. Every two letters. So the Avrech thinking, of course, I don't want to write 500. I'm going to write Elef, a thousand. Double. And it's very poor. His house is falling apart. But not to be Mechalel Shabbat more, he said, that's the shortest word I can write. Elef, three letters. And I will do it with my mouth. If you pick up the pen with your mouth and you write, it's not the oraita, because it's not in the right way. It's shinui, in a different way, like you do with your elbow, you do with your, with your feet. So that brings it to a lower level of Chilul Shabbat, which is only rabbinical restriction, which is a punishment, but not that, and not a cut for the soul. So he picked up the pen and he wrote slowly, like this. Aleph. Took him about two, three minutes. It was it wasn't exactly so nice writing, but he got the point. He picked it up, he came, and he put it like this on a table on a table, and he said to him, Here is your check. The doctor picked it up, and he see it's written Aleph. He said to him, I'm sorry, I told you five hundred. He doesn't know the laws of Shabbat. He said to him, I know, I know, but when you write on Shabbat, it's a very big sin. And I, I know if I'm going to tell you to come back Motzei Shabbat, you'll be upset at me, you don't know me. What, I'm wasting your time to come second time to collect your payment. But if I write it in a regular way, I destroy my own soul. Oily mi yitzri, oily mi yotzri. So I decided that the shortest word that I can write is Aleph. So here, take it. The doctor told him, with all due respect, Mr. Youngman, I don't see that based on your home you can afford to lose 500 shekels that easy. Still a lot of money. 
He said to him, don't worry, nobody can ever lose from doing what God wants him to do. I'm sure he would be fine. The doctor took the check, shook his hand, and left. Motzei Shabbos, Saturday night, opened the door, who's standing over there? The doctor. Hello, hi. Here is your change. Check for 500 shekel. <laughs> I cannot take from you extra 500. I didn't feel comfortable. Come, let's have a tea. Now we can talk. We are not nervous. The boy already feel better. Started to give him a nice drasha about the Torah, how he got the Torah. And he said to him, why don't, why don't we be, you know, once or twice a week we learn together Hevruta. Maybe I come to your office or you come here and we learn. I'm learning right down the block. Slowly, slowly was Mekarev this doctor until he made him a full Baal Tshuva. So you see how life works. You come and sacrifice money that you don't have for the sake of heaven. You're so poor and you're willing to lose so much just not to make one time an extra sin. And what do Hashem say? Not only you won't lose the money, don't worry, nobody ever lost from listening to me or from sacrificing to me. Not only you won't lose money, I'm going to give you the gift of your life. That if you lived 70 years and learn and do mitzvot all your life, you would not earn what is the gift I'm about to give you. Is this doctor, you're going to make him bal tshuva, and he's going to keep mitzvot and his children and grandchildren until the end of days. And they're going to bring you trillions of mitzvot, much more than you bring yourself in your life. And that's for one minute of sacrifice to the truth. Now imagine if you do it every minute of your life, like some people I know. Huh? Imagine how lucky you are that you want to spread the truth of Hashem to teach people and try to save their souls, and what do they do in return? Curse you and wish you to die online. Every minute. Your children should die, you should get cancer in your head, you should, Hitler should have burned you in Auschwitz, things like this. Israeli, liberal Jews, gays, all these reshaim. They have big mouths, some of them. And they write it, they're not embarrassed in public, with their face, with their profile face, next to what they say. Or when you speak on the radio, you have thousands of comments in the middle of the show. Yesterday I spoke in Israel on the radio, Sunday. I have a weekly show now. Every Sunday, 8 p.m. in Israel. Here it's 1 p.m. And it's also with a video. So they watch it also online. So once you speak, you see thousands of messages running. There's tens of thousands of people listening live on the radio and watching. So you see every second, and one after the other, one, two, three messages, non-stop. 99% of the messages are positive. I'm inspired, great, well, I'm so happy there is a show. But you have these few Nazis, these enemies of Hashem, those who are allergic to rabbi, especially a rabbi like me. They can't stand me, why? Because I keep pressing some painful dots in their, in their heart. You know, speaking about this, speaking about that, they go crazy. You can't handle the truth. So imagine now, every time you get a curse, how much it multiplies your reward. 
it's, some people are very sensitive. When someone offends them, it takes them a week to get over it. A week to get over it. So one person asked me a few days ago, how can you tolerate this? It's so insulting. It's so painful. I feel so bad. I can't, I can't believe this. Wow. How did people did to me? It's very, very upset. So I said, you have to program your head to think. I'm walking right now in the street and there's a dog barking, wants to kill me. Then you have to think, problems again, Benji? The new camera? The new phone? What's going to be? We have to change the setting, I guess. I have a feeling that Hashem does not want people to, to watch it on, uh, on, online. Maybe they're coming to more to lectures. Maybe that's the case. But we'll give it another chance. So anyway, I say to, the, to them, I say, look, you have to think, I walk in the street, and there are dogs that bark. Do I get offended? Ah, 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 wants to rip you apart. Ah, ah, ah. You walk in the street next to somebody's fence. Ah, ah, ah. Didn't the Gemara say, Pnei Ador ki Kelev? The face of the generation, like the face of the dog. This is dogs that bark. What do you even care? What do you even care? Don't answer, don't pay attention. Block that person, throw him to hell and move on. Don't waste time to reply even. There's one guy from my team that they work all the time, you know. We have teams of follow-up, commando. I call them the commando. Each one with a specialty. Kids that are young, this guy. Families that are broken, this guy. Still, you know, girls, guys, the all Baruch Hashem team of commando. Whenever you need a follow-up, please call this number immediately, no matter what time. They're ready. Ready, then two, three weeks later, usually I get an email, thank you for setting me up with this guy. Everything, Baruch Hashem, worked out beautiful. They put them in yeshivo, they send them chevrutot. Mamash amazing. That's why you need these people. What can you do? You can do the whole thing by yourself. How are you going to have a worldwide organization, one-man operation? You need a lot of people. Baruch Hashem. Top, let's move on. We'll finish the short introduction for today. Now we will start the lecture, Bezrat Hashem. Now we're going to start the introduction to the lecture. <laughs> the real lecture will be tomorrow night in Brooklyn at 8 p.m. Tov. We saw now, Baruch Hashem, we finished Sefer Bereshit. I told you last week, Sefer Bereshit, 2,200 years. Just Parashat Bereshit, 1,400 years. The first parasha of the Torah. The entire Sefer Bereshit, 2,200 years. Now we're starting Sefer Shemot. Sefer Bereshit is called the Book of the Fathers, Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. It finished with the death of Yaakov, which is actually his life, because the Torah says Vayechi Yaakov, that's how it starts, Parashat Vayechi, that talks about his passing away. Why? The righteous people, when they pass, their real life begins when they go to heaven. 
That's when the real life begins. Until now you were in a test. When you go to medical school, four, five, six years, whatever it takes you, you are right now not a doctor. You are a student who may be a doctor or may not be a doctor. Depend how serious and how smart you are. You may pass, you may fail. When you become a doctor, when you finish the medical school, you pass the test, and officially you get your doctorate, and you become a doctor, right? Same thing over here. Arjem puts us in the world, we are in a test. 70, 80, 90 years, 50 years, everyone with his test. As long as we are here, yes, we talk, we walk, we do things, but we are not yet alive. We are in a test. When we'll become officially alive, as the Torah says, if you listen to me, if you follow my commandments, that you should live. Meaning it will bring you to a status of a person that is alive. Meaning what are you now? You're still not even alive. The dog is also moving, so what? Goim that don't have mitzvot barely and they don't even know about this mitzvot, they also walk and talk and make money and eat. That's not life. Real life is connection to Hashem. Those of you who are attached strongly to your God are alive. Meaning those who are not attached to God are far away from being alive. As it's written in a book of Ezekiel, Yechezkel, it's written over there that God say, I swear on my name, Chai Hashem, swear on my name. Like a person says, I swear on my life, that's literally how, it's, how it means. I swear on my name that I'm not interested to kill the dead. I am interested to, to, to see him repenting that he should live. Let's analyze this verse. I am not interested to kill the dead. If he's dead, how can you kill him? What are you going to do? Give him some snacks? Maybe you'll kill him more than what he's dead already? Every fool knows that you can't live, you can't kill a dead person, right? So what does it mean? I'm not interested. All these uh, verses in the Torah, you should die, you should motiumat, mechalel Shabbat motiumat, idol worshiper motiumat, homosexual motiumat. What's all these things that are written in the Torah? What, what, what does it mean? They should put to death, they should put to death. Motiumat, duplication. In this world and in the next world. The answer is, as long as a person is in this world and is not keeping the commandments, not attached to Hashem, rebel against his own creator, he's considered right now 100% dead. It's like a phone that the charger is not connected. The phone is dying. 198, 95, 91. is in the process of dying. The battery is dying. Soon the phone will go off and once it goes off, it's finished. That's it. You can't even turn it on. Can't even look at it. It finishes purpose. That's how the life of a human being is. You're born, your battery begins to die. You don't know how long your battery would last. It's not like the phone, you see how many percent you have. 
40, 30, 20, you know, you have seven more minutes. It's going to shut off any minute. Another page I'm going to type and that's it. But with the life of a human being, you don't know how long you have left. Why? The phone is not in a test. There's no free will. The phone doesn't have free will if to shut, not to shut, to work, not to work. A human being is functioning only based on a free will. To do right or to do wrong? To be righteous or to be wicked? If you tell the person, don't worry, you have another 30 years. I'm 50. Don't worry, you have until 80. Wow, what's the last? Let's go back to the golf on Shabbat with a cigar. Hey, Johnny. What happened? Well, you're not religious anymore? I thought you became religious. No, no, I just found out I have 30 more years. No rush. No rush. We have another 29 years to play on Shabbat. Why 29? Once I'll be 79, I have to prepare from going to the eternal world. So then I'm going to donate all my money. I'll open yeshiva on my name. I give a few million dollars to use in the next few years after I die to say Kaddish for me and learn Mishnayot and make me a lot of mitzvot. I'm going to sponsor two or three million CDs and USBs and books. I'm going to protect my future. Plus, I'll be Shomer Shabbat, Shomer Mitzvot, it's strictly kosher, whatever you want. Only one year. So why did you live 79 years? To make sins. So what do I need this world for? Therefore, nobody knows when, when it's going to be his last breath. No one. That's what Hashem said to David Amelech. I will never tell a person the time of his death. Because once I did tell him that, his life became meaningless. There's no more purpose. Why? There's no more free will. He, he does not function. He doesn't choose anything. Because he, he knows already I'm, I'm secure. So, Rabotai, what will save the world, we all know, the arrival of the Mashiach. When the Mashiach will arrive, the truth will be displayed in the eyes of everybody in the world. In Sefer Yechezkel, it says, I'm not interested to kill the dead. I'm interested that he should make repentance, that he should live. Meaning, if he won't make repentance, he will remain dead for eternity. That's what it means. Therefore, all of you, Baruch Hashem, who became Shomer Shabbat, you plugged back the charger into the source. You're lucky. If you wouldn't, the battery will continue to go lower and lower and lower until there will be a moment that it won't help anymore to connect. That's it, died. That's life. Once a person is dead, you cannot fix. It's over. The soul comes out of the body. The body falls on the floor. You look at yourself on the floor. You see your wife, your children, your neighbors, your, your friends are all coming, screaming, pulling their hair off. Ambulance, sharks. You see your body jumping from the electric. And you are on top of everyone. And you're flying in the a, in a top of the room under the ceiling. And you hear everything, and you see everything, and you try to grab the phone to dial 911. Some of the people that died and came back to life after a few minutes, they say, I would keep trying to grab the phone and dial 911 because there was no one in the house to come save me. I didn't want to die. But because I didn't have a body, I was only a soul, which is 100% spiritual. Spiritual cannot pick up the phone. I, I'm going crazy. One guy put his hand into the aquarium. 
He wanted to move a rock for the fish, you know, the fish in the aquarium. And there was a wire inside the aquarium. He went into the water. Water is, you know, transferring electric. As soon as he put his hand in, wow, he got such a shock in Israel. It's 220 volt. One second he died. Boom, he fell on the floor, died. Now he's alone in the house. And he wants to call uh, to Israeli 911. And there's nobody, nobody can help you. Cannot do anything. All of a sudden, one of his um, family members walked in, saw, dial, ambulance came, saved his life with electric. This entire five, ten minutes that he was dead, they all described the same thing. Now imagine when a person comes out, he did not plan to die. The biggest shock is what's gonna be now with everything I worked for for 50, 60 years, I killed myself. The money in Switzerland, the money in the Cayman Island, the money under the Bukharian rug or Persian rug that I hid, this and that, partnership that I just did with someone, I just did a big wire, house that I was about to buy, I just wired the money and we did not even move in and he's dead. What is he going to do? Call from heaven to the owner of the house to return the money? Imagine the shock. Imagine uh, you're expecting a brit of your grandson in a day or two, and chas shalom, you die, and you say, wow, I can't even go to the brit now. I can't go to the bar mitzvah. You marry your daughter, imagine next week. After six months of preparation and so much headache, and your wife drove you crazy, this flower and this one and this. Oh, for six months you survive? The moment arrive, heart attack. It happened in Israel few months ago, in the middle of the wedding, as they take the boy, his father got a heart attack and died. In the middle of the wedding. Imagine this, Khatan, poor Khatan, I saw his video. Help me out. Why? All the expenses for the wedding and everything, a minute before the chupa, my father died. Go and do chupa now. What are you going to do? You have band, orchestra, food. Anybody care about this now? Instead of a wedding, it became a funeral. Why? Because a person never knows what's next. Once the soul comes out, everybody immediately understands what just happened. Takes a few seconds, the shock. Okay, okay, no, 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 I want to come back. I, I have to do things. You have to tell her, you have to tell him, you have to... But uh, that's, that's it. Your life is not in your hand anymore. You know what to do? Wow, but I hid all this cash here and I did this and I'm waiting. Wow. Some people, they work 20 years to build a building. 20 years. Finally, they finish the building. They're supposed to start selling the apartment. Boom, he dies. Who's going to take care of it? Doesn't have sons, nothing. Everything goes down the drain. It happens all the time. So people think, I'm going to live forever. He's 80 years old, he's still planning, we're going to buy a big mountain, we shave the trees, we'll build another three buildings over there. How long will it take? 10 years to do such a project. Who promised you you'll be here when you're 90? And even if you be here, what exactly are you going to do with the extra $5 million you're going to make in the next 10 years on this project? What is the point here? The problem is, once you get it into your system, it's very difficult to change. 
Very difficult to change. So, I'll tell you a story that happened. You heard about Rav Ezra Atiyah? Rav, Rav, Rav Ovadia Yosef Rabbi. He was the head rabbi of Porat Yosef. He wasn't only Rav Ovadia Yosef Rabbi. He was the rabbi of all the biggest Sephardi rabbis in the world. Rav Ben Sion Abba Shaul, Rav Ovadia, Rav Tzadka, all the big ones. They all learned by him. Every big giant Chacham was either learning in Porat Yosef or by someone who came out of Porat Yosef. You understand? It was the main yeshiva. Rav Ezra Atiyah is the one that when he found out that Lidl Ovadia is not showing up to yeshiva for two, three days, such a genius, bright boy in Talmud Torah, and he asked around, and the Rebbe say, his father has a little grocery in Yerushalayim, and he doesn't have help, and he asked Ovadia to stay to work. Can't go to school. I need help. What do you need help for? Pack the olives, the feta cheese, cut the bread. Clean the store. Little kid. What is he going to do? His father? His father. Rosh Yeshiva Ezra Atiya came to his father's uh, grocery. Why? His, name, his father's name was Yaakov. Yaakov Yosef. That's why son, Yaakov Yosef, which also already passed before him even, his son. So he said to, to his father, Rabbi Yaakov, why little Ovadia is working here cutting cheese when he's supposed to be in Shiur Gemara? And who's going to help you, Rabbi? You? I'm alone here. What do you think? I can serve all the customers in the neighborhood by myself? The rabbi said, of course, I came to help you. That's why I came. Let him go back to yeshiva and I'll help you. Well, Rabbi, I cannot let you help. You're brosh yeshiva. You're important. But I can't do it on my own. Look how many people online. Don't worry. Don't worry about the line. Let him go. Let Ovadia, go, go to yeshiva. The Rosh Yeshiva picked up his sleeves. Well, how much you need? Tack, start cutting, packing bread. People walks in. Not everybody knew who he is, the women especially. Oh, one man walks in. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? I'm helping, uh, I'm helping Rabbi Yaakov to sell cheese. You're the biggest rabbi in, a, in, a, in the world and you're, you're cutting cheese now? What is this? Disrespecting Talmidei Chachamim, the Torah people started to scream. What, is, what are you doing? You're making the rabbi working in a grocery? I didn't ask him. He came <laughs> to help. Let the rabbi go. That's how Rav Ovadia Yosef got saved. Imagine if he wouldn't go. Another week or two. That's it. He would become Amaharetz. Cutting cheese from age 12, 11, whatever it was. You understand, Rabotai? One time, the joint, the Zionist, Jewish Zionist, very wealthy organization, until today they are loaded, the joint, they, back then, 40, 50, 60 years ago, it was different kind of people. They had some more empathy, and they care about Judaism and Torah. Not like today, Hashem Rachem, what kind of people are living in the world today. Back then, they cared about Torah. So the joint decided to do a one-time aid to the Torah world, to the yeshivot. One-time assistant. So they made a big party to thank them. They gave a big amount of money, one-time donation. 
So they invited all the yeshivot who got their contribution. Each Rosh Yeshiva will give a few minute speech as honoring the people of the joint. When they called the, the when the turn of Rav Ezra Atiyah came to speak, they say, Ya'amod Chacham Atiyah Rosh Yeshivat Porat Yosef Laset Edvarav. He came out to the podium. He looked at all the people, all these rich people with their tuxedo suits, talking to you <laughs> over 50, 60 years ago. He opened up his mouth. Words did not come out. He closed his mouth, opened again, nothing comes out. Then he pressed in such tears and crying. Started to cry in front of all the people over there. Crying. Wow, such crying. They all got so nervous. Imagine what an awkward moment. That's an important holy man. They all looked. They were shocked. There was one rabbi there, Rabbi Tenenbaum. Tenenboim. He was Mazkir Vada Yeshivot. The secretary of the board of the yeshivas. He jumped quickly. He held his hand. Rabbi, what happened? Listen to what he answered. When I walked, when I stood up here to, to give my speech, I remember the Mashiach did not arrive yet. We remember that every day. Why all of a sudden now in front of the Zionists? What happened here? All these business people. So he said, and it got me so upset that I just could not hold the crying. Rav Tonenboin said to him, Rabbi, with all the respect, we're all waiting for Mashiach to come. He was also religious, this Tonenboin. But why all of a sudden now? What's the connection now to this event? Good question, no? What did he say? He said, because the Mashiach did not come, we are going to the joint organization to give us money that we can maintain our Torah learning in yeshivot. Because we cannot get money and they are the only one who have money now. It was very hard days, days of poverty. But if Mashiach would have come, the joint would have made a party for us, thanking us that we agreed to take their money and save them from hell in Olam Abba. Now it's a world of fakeness and lie. Everything is the opposite. We have to flatter them and come here and kiss up and give them thank you for giving money for us to keep the Torah and the Yeshivot. But if there was honesty the way it should be, it would be the other way around. They would give us a million dollars and make a party and go one by one. We want to thank the rabbis and the yeshivot that agree to get us to be partners in their holy Torah learning. We can never find a better investment than this. You understand? And I will give you a proof for it. A proof for it. Warren Buffett invested $4 billion in a, in a company in Israel. One Israeli guy, the company value $5 billion. Warren Buffett bought 80% of the company for $4 million cash transaction. 
They say he's the best investor in the world. They asked him, why did you find in this high-tech Israeli big, uh, huge company? He said, that's the future of the world. I'm sure that I'm going to triple my investment. So when they made that uh, press conference, a party, who actually tanked who? Warren Buffett thanked them for taking him as a partner, or they had to thank him for coming in and becoming a partner. So he actually thanked them for allowing him to buy 80% into the wonderful company after they built it up for so many decades and brought it to become such a successful company, and he just come and write a check. You understand? So he thanked them for taking him in as a partner. When you have the best product and 10 people are begging, take me in, take me as your partner. I don't need 10 partners, I only need one. I only need one more assistant. No, we also want. No, no. Okay, I'm going to choose one of you. Oh, I choose you. Why not me? Why not me? Thank you, thank you. Mwah, mwah. Give hugs, kisses. Thank you for taking me as a partner. This is only when it comes to money, so people are appreciative. When it comes to Torah and saving souls, somehow we become the dumbest fools on earth. We, ha we have to beg the people to continue their monthly donation. Every month or two, that, because the Yetzirah keeps sitting on their head. Wow, another hundred dollars a month. Oh, another five hundred dollars a month. Oh my God, I should cut it. Fighting with himself, the poor guy. Spending in restaurants routinely thousands of dollars a month. No problem. But saving souls from internal destruction, it's a struggle. Oh, he has to fight. In my own eyes, I saw a multi-billionaire stopping a $180 donation a month. Billionaire, not millionaire. On seven huge construction company making highways and bridges. Working for the state of Florida. Living in a $10 million home. Cadillac company made him a car custom made. All handmade. Not machinery. $700,000 Cadillac. <laughs> I was, because I came to his house, I saw fancy Mercedes, Porsche, and all of a sudden a Cadillac. Cadillac is uh, for poor people. If you drive a two or three hundred thousand dollars car, how much Cadillac's worth? I said to him, I see you like American car. Cadillac, you like? <laughs> I was wondering. He said, no, don't be dumb. <laughs> That's not a regular Cadillac. It's custom made. More expensive than Bentley. Why? They made it all by hand, special. I don't know how, but <laughs> this guy, after a few months, stopping the 180. And that's after I showed him on my Facebook page, 2 million views per week. This was 15 years ago. Now it's a lot more. Back then, 2 million views per week on one page. He went crazy. There was Nagba Omer night, Motsi Shabbos. I opened my laptop, I showed it to him. He could not believe what he saw. He said, wow, what an unbelievable traffic. How can it be? <laughs> few months later, he, he had to stop the $180. Why is it? Why is it? They would change something in his life? Of course not. The answer is either the Satan really set on him so bad that he just couldn't take the pain, 
second reason is not everyone's money Hashem is interested in. Sometimes when you join, you sign up to subscribe, monthly donation. At the time you subscribe, you had the merit. You were not so wicked. So Hashem say, partner like him, saving my children, I'm interested. Two, three months later, you made a horrible scene. A big scene, who knows what kind of scene. Maybe you steal, maybe you... All kinds of other forbidden relationship, who knows what. And what happened to you? Hashem say, I don't want you anymore to be my partner in saving my children's souls. Right away, dump you out. That's what's going on. And you think, oh, I just saved. What? This month I gave $500 less charity. I have to stop my charities. I, the, the, I think it was the Hafez Chaim. He gave a beautiful parable, Mashal. What was the Mashal about? He said, when a person has a carriage full of merchandise on top with a horse, the horse got into the mud, like swamp. The wheels of the carriage got stuck in the mud. They, can, they cannot come out. You hit the horse. He, he does not have the strength to pull the carriage out of the mud. What would you do? You have to start taking boxes from the carriage, take them down, another 50 pounds, another 50 pounds, another 100 pounds, and see if the horse will come. You take out 50 pounds, you hit him, he cannot come out. You take another 50 pound off. You put it on the side. You're going to come pick it up later. Put it on the side. You hit him. He cannot go out. You put another box. You hit him. He cannot come out. What happens if you took already everything out of the carriage and the carriage itself is heavy and he still doesn't come out? What do you do? So you have an idea. Let me take off the four wheels. <laughs> they also weigh a lot. So he said... The rabbi said, people who cut their tzedakah when business is not booming, as business was booming, that's part of doing business. He didn't even look at it. Once business went down 20, 30, 40%, immediately he cut 80, 90% of its tzedakah, sometimes 100%. So he said that people that do that is exactly like someone that is stuck in the mud, in a trouble, and needs to get out of the mud, and he take off the wheels from the carriage. If there is anything that can get you out of your misery, is the tzedakah. And what do you do? You trim it. Remember this mashal. Baruch Hashem. Now we can start. We finish the second introduction. You're laughing. Don't worry. We have a few more minutes and we'll let you go. Baruch Whatever he gave, he gave. Nobody can take away his merit. Every mitzvah you did in your life, it's yours. Unless you say in your own mouth that you regret doing this mitzvah. It's called tohe ala rishonot. Chazal say, if somebody comes and say, I regret that I built the synagogue. All the mitzvot that were done in that synagogue and will be done in the future, that should have gone, gone to his account, he lost. If a person had a guest in his house, three years he eats by him every Shabbos. Poor person. Every Shabbos he lives in the area. Automatically. You don't need to invite him. I know in Monsi there are people like this. 
Every Shabbos, the few guests coming routine, because they don't have anywhere to eat. Single guys or girls. So you, don't, you say, no, I'm, I'm not going to invite you. I sometimes forget. You just show up. We are here, the family is here, one more or two more guests, not going to make any difference. Just show up. If you want to go somewhere else, go. But if you don't have, always come here. Tov. So he came in three years, you're feeding him. And then one time you found out he spoke against you and your family after he's eating in your table every Shabbat. He got very upset, very insulted. And after that, you come to your wife and say, you see, what an ungrateful person. We, I should have never invited him. We should have never dealt with such a kfui tova, such an ungrateful person. Chaval! It's a shame we invited him. In one sentence, you lost three years of hospitality. Mitzvah orchim. You lost everything. Why? You regret. Don't ever regret what you did, which is a mitzvah in a Torah. Don't ever regret it. If the person you found out that is double-faced, he didn't deserve it to begin with, but you already did it anyway, don't regret. Hashem, I did it for you, you know it. Okay, now I'm going to move it to someone else that deserves. But I don't regret what happened. Whatever I did, I'm happy with. Now I'll go somewhere else and try to do even better. That's the right approach. Otsar HaYediot, in the name of the Noda Yehuda, it's a big legendary Ashkenazi Rav, about 150 years ago. Important posek also. It's, it's written that when a chaz v'shalom lo alenu lo alechem, when you go in a funeral and you help to bury someone, either you sponsor the funeral or you carry the bed, or you, you, know, you drive the body from where he died to the... In the old days it was primitive, not like now. Everything is organized, ambulance. It wasn't like now. They used to take the body with a carriage. People come participate, dig a grave. It wasn't so organized like now. So it's written in the Gemara that if you do some kind of chesed to the dead people, it's chesed shel emet. This is what Yaakov told his son Yosef in a parasha. Don't leave me here in Egypt. Take me and bury me with my fathers. In Hebron, in Me'arat HaMachpelah, Avraham and Yitzchak. So why when you bury a dead person, it's called chesed shel emet. A real, true Kindness. Everything else is not true kindness. You get somebody feeling he couldn't afford. It's not a true kindness. You give money to a poor family for Shabbat. It's not a true kindness. Uh, you know, your friend had a problem, so you went and helped him out to carry stuff. It's not true kindness. Everything is true. Why Chesed with the dead is, has a stamp. That's really truth. The other ones, maybe yes, maybe not. This, for sure, it's true. Why? Because every time you do a chesed to someone, you always have in the back of your mind, this guy's a dentist. If one day I'm going to need something, or for me or my children, I'll be able to go to him and he will pay me back a favor. Right? Or give me a big discount, or do it for free. It's worth. It's an investment for a long term. Uh, this guy... Is you know, he's, he's going to invite me, he's going to take me, he's going to do for me. It's worth it for me now to sweat and help him out. I know it will pay off. Even though sometimes it's only in the back of your mind, meaning in your subconscious, you don't really think about it. 
because right now you're really busy with your heart to do the mitzvah, but it appears already in your subconscious that one day you will cash out on this mitzvah. With this person that you bury, he cannot pay you, he's already in a grave. So you know, I'm doing it and I will never get in this world a payment for it. So far, it makes sense or no? There's only one problem that I see. What about his son? His son will pay you back. His brother, his mother, right? The community will see that you're such a tzaddik, you went, you did a funeral for this guy, they want now your daughter for the best guy in the community. And will pay off big time. Here in this world, you're going to cash on this mitzvah for sure. If people will find out you volunteer in Hebrat Kadisha and you bury people for free, do you know what a reputation is going to make you? If somebody wanted to throw you out of the shul because you speak in the middle of davening, they already decided to throw you out. Then one person got up and said, yeah, you're right, it's annoying, it's disturbing the, 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 the tefillah. But come on, this is a guy who every night goes at 2 a.m. until 5 a.m. washing bodies in Hevrat Kadisha, volunteer. Would you do this? Wow, that's what he's doing? Forget about it, we apologize. He's going to stay in the shul, we're going to just put a tape on his mouth, that's it. We don't throw him out. So you see, it's worth it. You do chesed with the dead, somebody in this world will also pay you back. True or false? So what is the Gemara saying? Gemara didn't know it? Of course they knew it. Why it's not the same satisfaction? Let me ask you a question. If you do a favor to a mechanic, and a year later or six months later you need someone to fix your engine, and instead of $5,000, this mechanic can arrange it for you for only $2,000, remembering how nice you were to him a year ago. But he will tell you, I'm not an expert in this model. Go to the garage of my brother, it's one mile away, I'm going to give him a call, and he will replace the engine for you. Do you care if Moshe will do it, or Ruben? It was done thanks to the favor he owed you from a year ago. Right or wrong? Who cares who will do it? One doctor said, I, I want to do it for you, but it's not my specialty. I'll send you to my cousin. Or he's a much better doctor than me. Right or wrong? I like you so much, I have mercy on you. I do not want to operate on you. By me, you may come out, you may not come out. But my cousin is a great doctor, 40 years in business, nobody ever died under his knife. So because I love you, I'm sending you to my cousin. Fair or not? Very. To his other customers, he doesn't send them to, their cousin, to the cousin. Let them be my guinea pigs. They come out, Baruch Hashem. They don't come out, we send them to Olam Shekulotov. But let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. What's behind it? When a person works for his master, for his owner, the, the worker can cheat the boss because the boss is a human being. He's not God. He doesn't know what you do behind his back. He went to the bathroom now 10 minutes. Does he know what you're doing? See, drinking coffee, talk on the phone, pretending you're working. He went to errands, two hours he went to sleep in the back. Does he know? He doesn't know. A worker, if he's not an honest person, will find a way to cheat his boss. No matter how strict he is, he'll find a way. 
He cannot follow the worker non-stop, 24-7. It's not possible. But you cannot fool Hashem. If you work and you do something for Hashem, you, you got to do it right. If you don't do it right, Hashem sees that you're a lazy bum or a cheater. He sees exactly who you are. You can't fool Hashem. So if a person wants to get his full reward from Hashem for his good deed, he has to serve Hashem be'emet. In a real way. What do we say in the tefillah? Karov Hashem lechol korav, lechol asher ikra'uhu be'emet. What does it mean? Some people calling him b'sheker? Do you know anyone who will say to Hashem, Hashem, da 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 da, and in his mind he thinks, no, no, I don't really mean it. I really want something else, but I'm fooling you right now. And anyone is that dumb to try to fool Hashem, thinking one thing and asking for something else? This you can only do by people. So what does it mean, Karov Hashem lechol korav, lechol asher ikra'u be'emet? Meaning, there is a way to call Hashem not really be'emet. Meaning, you give yourself credit that you don't deserve. Hashem, I did this and this for you. You know how much I sacrifice. Why can't you give me midah keneged midah? Don't you, didn't you promise measure for measure everything? What else? I, I did for you so many times. I did this and I did that for you and I cleaned the shul and I did that and I gave money to the yeshiva. Thanks to me, people sitting and learning. What am I asking you after all? So that can only be good between Reuven and Shimon. And if Reuven tried to fool Hashem, I help the yeshiva. So I help the yeshiva, you fool. I'm giving you $10 million income a year. You're giving the yeshiva $2,000 a year and you're telling me I help the yeshiva. You better be quiet and not even bring it up. It only brings more judgment on you, you fool. Only if a doctor is a brain surgeon, the only one in the world who knows how to perform a specific surgery. No one in the world knows. Only him. And now there are 10 patients here in town. And he's now here. And he agreed only to perform one surgery and let the other nine die. This doctor will get sympathy by the public or people will throw eggs at his head. Get out of here, you murderer. What do you think? Anyone will give him a compliment for saving the one? Everyone will focus on the nine and let them die. Right or wrong? That's exactly the same thing by us, with Hashem. If you can have done 10 times more, what are you bragging about doing only 10% of your capacity and ability and potential? It's written in the Torah, sometimes Moshe and Aaron, sometimes Aaron and Moshe. Usually the Torah starts from the more important one to the less important one. If the Torah gives a list of three, four people, they start from the most important, second, third, and fourth. If one time the Torah says Moshe and Aaron, and sometimes Aaron and Moshe, it's confusing. So who is more important? Aaron is all there and is a big tzaddik and makes a lot of peace between people. It's great midot and huge emunah. It's two sons died and make a peep. Moshe Rabbeinu is holy and amazing and sacrifice and who knows. And, and humble, the most humble in history. Everyone has his skills. So who's really on the scale more? 
than the other. It has to be one more than the other. It cannot be both of them are 99.752. It cannot be. It has to be a little difference. You, you agree, right? It's not two people that are exactly the same rating. The Gemara says, Both of them are equal. The Gemara says, How can you say such thing? You know the Gemara. It's all question, answer, question, answer, until the questions run out. Then you get a conclusion. So the Gemara is another question. Oh yeah, both of them are equal? The Torah clearly says there's no prophet in a history that will be like Moshe. And Moshe, the Torah is named Torah Moshe, not Torah Aaron. If the Torah would be called Torah Moshe and Aaron, or Torah Aaron and Moshe, okay, maybe they are equal. But everything in the end is Moshe. The Agmara says, each one of them fulfill the same amount of potential from what he had. If, for instance, no one is perfect, no one is an angel, Moshe made few mistakes, Aaron made few mistakes, but let's say they fulfill 99% of their potential. The 99% of Moshe is a little bit higher than the 99% of Aaron. So if you look at Moshe and you look at Aaron, it looks like Moshe is in a higher level. But in the eyes of Hashem, they're both equal. Why? Each one of them did almost the maximum he could. What do we learn from here? That you can see two Jews. One is a real Ben Torah, Talmud Chacham, learning, knowing the whole Shulchan Aruch by heart. Waking up every morning, 5 a.m., learning two hours, Daven Shachri, two hours, all day learning Torah, watching his eyes, mikveh every day, did you not look at an image of a woman for years? That's how holy this person is. Watching his eyes, his ears, doesn't have internet, doesn't know who's the prime minister, nothing. And then you have another religious man. He's working for Hevrat Kadisha, volunteer for Tom Cheshabes, running, saving, helping. Oh, he has a business. Every time a poor person comes, he gives him for free. Don't worry, don't, you don't have to worry, don't have to pay, you know. Now, when you look at them now, one looks like a real serious holy rabbi, and one looks like a modern businessman. Maybe doesn't even have a beard. The Yamaka is much smaller. His knowledge in Torah is not even 1% of the tzaddik, the chacham. Both of them standing over here. Now Hashem comes and shock you. Who do you think is more tzaddik? Oh, this Talmud Chacham, what's to compare b'chlad? Compared to him is uh, parv. <laughs> Hashem said, you'll be surprised, he's a higher, higher on a scale, this one. Why? First of all, I give millions to saving souls. Thanks to him, already five, ten thousand people became Baal Tshuva. The other one didn't do it. So right away, he has much more schuyot, number one. We'll start with that. Number two, every time someone comes to his clinic, this doctor, and I know a few doctors like this, personally, they never take money from Talmidei Yeshivot. They told me, I have the dentist, Dr. Cohen, the Persian doctor, Union Turnpike, 167th Street. 20-something years, every Talmidei Yeshiva walked there, he took care of them for free in front of the customers. Meaning there's customers sitting, waiting, this guy will give 500, this 1,000, this one 3,000. It's expensive dentist. 
if a Talmud Yeshiva comes, he takes him in, he came for a cavity. How much a cavity costs? 100, 200, no big deal. He find out now, while he's checking his teeth, there are three or four more. He will do everything. Why? He doesn't want to send him back and bring him again from Monsi to Queens. Now people waiting two hours, he's going to lose. The guy get up, oh, I'm sorry, it's too late. I, I can't wait. He leaves. He just lost $500. Another one maybe left. Maybe he will never come back. Takes care of the Talmidei Chachamim before anyone else. Somebody like this is a big rabbi? No. Big Talmid Chacham? Probably not. But it could be in Shammayim count more than Bachur Yeshiva even. Because it all depends on how much from your personal potential you fulfill. First of all, not everyone got the brain to be Chacham Ovadia Yosef. Not everyone. I had many students in Yeshiva in the days I used to teach Gemara. After one day that they are in yeshiva, you already know this one can be a huge chacham and this one, nothing will help. You need a real miracle that he will understand one page of Gemara in his life. You see right away. Especially those Israelis who went to India and smoked drugs for a few years and took pills. It damaged their brain completely. They can focus. What do you think? Smoking grass is a... Uh, it's healthy, Rabbi. Medical, medical drugs. In this world, it's such a fake world that you have something that is poison, is a killer, is a destroyer. What's the problem? Here, sticker, kosher. <laughs> Bet Yosef, up. Haman, become Mordechai. <laughs> uh, what are you doing? Excuse me, sir, you're religious. No, 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 to that. <laughs> ah, so you can go to the theater, eat popcorn? Ah, non-kosher popcorn and hot dog. Hot dog from, from a real dog made in China. You're walking into a theater with the yatskipa and tzitzit and your jeans and your sandals. Hey, don't be fanatic. I'm not like you. You're Haredi. I'm modern. It's like Hashem gave a few different Torah. Torah for Haredim, Torah for modern, Torah for Zionim, Torah for Chabadnikim, Torah for this. What is this, Shtuyot? There's one Torah, and it's the same Torah for all Jews all over the world. Those who speak Russian, and Persian, and English, and Hebrew, same Torah, same requirement, same judgment, same everything. One thing, there is a difference, the potential. You have few kids. One kid is a, a real, honest, truthful kid, loves Musar. Abba, don't worry, when you see me doing something wrong, be tough with me. The other kid, you cannot make one coming next to him. Why? He gets upset like a little girl. Ah, Abba is tough with me. I can't take this life anymore. Why? Why? He cannot hear criticism. You tell him one or two things that it's not right, he doesn't want to come anymore. Where is Moishi? Sleeping upstairs. Why doesn't come to the Kiddush? You offended him, Abba. Why you offended him? You told him that his hat looked too small for his head. He better, he better get a bigger hat. It's too modern. You know? So what, what happened? No, now he doesn't want to come. He said to start Kiddush without him. You say to your other son, he laughs. Oh, yeah? Okay, no problem. We'll go to the store. We'll, we'll look for something better. Doesn't even make a big deal. Why? One person is sensitive. The other one is not. 
Here in America, if you ask an American, how old are you? He hates you for 20 years now. That's it. It's already a dead sentence. Why you hate this guy so much? Who, which guy? That, uh, this Boaz. How did you know, how do you know I hate him? I see in your body language. You can't stand him. Every time he comes, you get angry. You lose your mood. Your body is aching. To tell you the truth, this guy has a nerve. I'm telling you, I never saw in my life such a chatsuf. What did he do? Oh my God, maybe he published about you in the internet something? Destroyed your business? What did he do? He asked me in front of everyone how old I am. That's it? Yes! What is it, his business? It's not Israel here. Israel, everybody wants to know how much you have in your bank account. How much you making? But here, nobody asks questions like this. <laughs> nobody asks questions like this. Israel, you can go on an interview on Prime TV, like happened to me a few times, and the idiot, Rasha, can ask you in live interview, so how do you make your living? <laughs> I see religion is a good business. Why? He sees you with a tie. In Israel, nobody wears a tie. On live TV, one million viewers right now. 6, 7 p.m., live TV. Wow. Very popular show. It was a few times on the show. He says, so religion is a great business. What business are you talking about? All lectures are for free. You expect me to believe it? Go ask. Go check. Tonight, free. Last week, free. Free. It's all free. Those who want to donate, we do good things with this. That's it. There's no set price. Not business. Lawyer. Okay. Hi, uh, Mr. X. I would like to consult with you about immigration. Hold on. Let me check my timer. <laughs> okay. Time is ticking. $300 for five minutes phone call. One guy called the lawyer. He said to him, I have a... I have three questions to ask you. Can I ask? He say, yeah, you have two questions left. <laughs> he already asked, can I ask? <laughs> you know? So the guy say to him, what? That's not a question. There was a comment. What, you expect me to pay for that question? Oh, you ask another question. You have one question left. It reminds me, one Ashkenazi, he came to Sfaradi Shul. And every two minutes, a Moroccan guy gets up, Rabbi Hananiah ben Akashia Omer, and everybody screamed together, So this Ashkenazi is not used to it. Every two minutes, Kaddish. So he comes to the Marukai, he said to him, excuse me, Jojo, why every two minutes somebody gets up and says, Rabbi Hananiah ben Akashia Omer, every time you say one, two, two or three sentences of the Torah, why do I say Kaddish? He said to him, tell me, what you just told me now was a Dvar Torah? Rabbi Hananiah Benakashia Now, Baruch Hashem, it's been a long time since I told you a story, but the best story I kept for the end. To let you go home with a real Musar. Listen to this and we finish here. Many years ago in Damascus, Many years ago in Damascus, there was a priest, Goy. His name was Abba Gulish. You heard about him? Abba Gulish. Not Abba Ivan, 
Abba Gulish. They used to, he was in charge of the church and all the idols over there. Abba Gulish used to do fundraising every week in his church for his idol worshipping ceremonies. You know, like they do in a church. But what did he do? Instead of really doing anything, he would take all the money to his pocket. As a result of that, he was wealthy, living the life, driving fancy cars, uh, or, or back then maybe it was horses. One time, a tragedy happened to him. He had a big problem. He stood by one of his statues. JC, JC, help me. I'm suffering. JC is mute, doesn't move. Save me. Of course, Jay-Z didn't save him. Couldn't save himself. How would he save him? <laughs> so, he got so disappointed, he went out, he looked up to the sky, and he said, Ribbono Olam, Master of Universe. Shomea Tefillah, the one who listens to prayers. Answer me. Within hours, his tragedy was over. Within hours. He was so excited from the miracle, he decided to worship the real God without brokers. <laughs> he cut the middleman out, you know, cut the middleman out. He left the church, gave up his job, resigned, and moved to, to Israel. To which city? Tiberias. This is a real true story. It happened. It actually happened, this story. That's why it's a shocking story. He moved to Tiberia. He came to the Jewish Bedin. He went through a full Orthodox conversion and became a Jew and became one of the religious Jews in the community of Tiberia. After a while, while he was already mixed very well in the community, the Jews trusted him I said, that's a polite uh, convert. We want you to be in charge of the money. We have a fund, charity fund. We want you to be in charge of the money. They give the cheese to the cat to watch. They didn't know about his history and scenes. And there was no internet yet. There's no better business bureau. <laughs> he couldn't check his record. Once he's... He smelled the money and the noise of the coin. His desire came back. He could not resist the temptation and immediately went back to his old crooked ways and started to put money in his pockets. All of a sudden, Hashem paid him back. He made him blind in one eye. Woke up one morning, he's blind. But you would think he will get the message and stop before he's going to lose his second eye, but greed overcome logic. And he continued with his uh, theft. And what happened? He lost his other eye. Completely became blind. Completely. He was sitting broken in his home because a blind person, Chashuv Kemet, the Gemara says. Suma Chashuv Kemet. One time, a group of Christians from Damascus arrived to Tiberias on a trip to the Holy Land. 
That was before Corona, so they accepted tourists. And they ask, we want to find someone who lives in this town, used to be in our community, his name is Abba Gulish. Oh, he's convert from Syria. Yeah, yeah, go over here, make a left, make a right. Oh, they found him. They all came, and they got the shock of their life. See a broken man, blind, sitting like this alone. They say, oh my God. Oh my God. They didn't know he converted to Judaism in the beginning. When they found out he went to Tiberia, I said, why, why would he run there? They came, they saw him with the Amaka beard. The comer did not disappear. He just became a Jew. They all went furious when they saw him like this. So they say to him, we are taking you now back with us to Damascus and you're going to stand in front of our statue and ask for forgiveness in front of the whole community. If not, we'll kill you. We're not letting you betray us. Maybe... JC will have mercy on you. He said to them, okay, take me to Damascus. He took him with him. He arrived to Damascus. And everybody say, you heard what happened? Our ex-priest came back to town. And he's going to ask forgiveness on Sunday from JC in front of the whole community. Oh, wow. Very good. Everybody showed up. They put a stage over there in the church. Everybody was so excited to see a Jew bowing down to their idol again. We brought him back to be Christian. Wow, it's a double party. So they all came, and then it was silent. He got up on the stairs, standing on the stage in front of JC, and he said, Dear audience, I want to tell you something. While I was your priest, I want to confess. I cheated you and stole all your money. I deceived you. And instead of doing what I told you that I will do with your money, I kept it in my pocket. And because you did not know, you did not protest and did not punish me. So because of what I was doing, I was hurting JC. I was hurting JC as well. But he did not know about it, so he did not punish me also. <laughs> because obviously he doesn't have eyes to see or ear to hear, as you all see. And he cannot move his, his finger to do good or bad, obviously. And I left this fake life that I lived over here in your community, in this church. And I decided to worship the real God, the God of universe, the real God. And after I did that, again, my evil inclination came. And I started to take all kinds of money that was not mine. But the real God does have eyes and he sees everything. And immediately he punished me. And he made me blind in my two eyes. So I came here to confess today and regret all the stupid years that I wasted with your stupid idol worshipping place and tell you that the real God gave me what I deserve. But your God cannot even move his finger and is blind. You want to continue to worship him? Fine. 
but I'm going back to Israel. <laughs> I'm not going to waste my time here. This is the story. What was the results of it? While he was on a stage, front of all this goyim, Hashem gave him back his eyes. He opened up his eyes and he started to see. It's a famous story that happened. Front of everyone. They came back to Israel and these goyim were shocked. None of them, not one of them made a beep. That's why we say, Nikarim divrei emet. Speak the truth. Even your enemy sees it. And we have another sentence. Birzot Hashem ish. When Hashem is satisfied from the way of a person, his way is path, he will force his enemies to make peace with him. Those who plan to kill him, to punish him, to do things to him. When Hashem wants a person is satisfied from his way, even his own enemies will make peace with him. Even his own enemies, you go to an audit by an IRS, some Nazi is already planning, how will I rip this Jew to pieces? But Hashem is happy, you give a lot of tzedakah, you learn Torah, you make tshuva. All of a sudden you shows up, a whole different person. So how are you, Mr. Cohen? How was your day? How was your holiday? Oh, what? Look, all of a sudden it became so nice. And I've seen it thousands of times. All of a sudden, everything turned around. Why? It's all from Hashem anyway. Why? All from Hashem. 100%. Bezrat Hashem, tomorrow, 8 p.m. Benji, you have 24 hours to figure it out. Why the new phone is uh, acting on us. Okay, Benji, you think you can handle it? Thousands of people will be very upset if not. 24 hours, man. No sleeping, no eating. <laughs> Baruch, we owe a lot of gratitude to Benji every time he comes. Baruch Hashem. Baruch Adonai Leolam. Amen v'amen. Rabbi Hananiah ben Akashia Omer.